Hey, uh, got a summer once in a while start with one of these little uh, kind of quizzes or whatever. This is on distress signals. Typically maritime distress signal, all right? Let's see what you know. All right, first question. The original meaning of the SOS distress signal, I just noticed this last week somebody was saved because they were in a man island out somewhere in the Pacific, SOS from Sam. The original meant what? Save our souls, save our ship, send out the Sudar, which is to help. Or D, none of the above. Anybody? The answer is actually D, none of the above, because SOS, I just learned this this week, is the Morse code three dots, three dashes, three dots. And they only came up with that because it's easy to remember. Those happen to represent S, O, and S. So it was simply three dots, three dashes, three dots is the way it So all the other meetings, that's what we can add from. All right, next one. The SOS distress signal was first adopted by which government in 1905? USA, Germany, Fiji, Mongolia, the Mongolian Navy quite pretty big. Uh, and Slovenia, which one? Anybody? Correct answer there is Germany. They're the first ones that adopted that as their uh, official maritime in the water and both kinds of stress signal. Next one. 1923, a radio officer in London originated the procedure for the following radio distress call. A, help. B, Mayday, C, Mayday, Mayday, or D, Mayday, Mayday, Mayday? Which one? The proper answer is D. It's supposed to be repeated three times. So, even if you come this morning and you learn nothing about God, you have some real life practice. All right. But it's supposed to be three, Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. All right. And then you're supposed to say what the distress is. So keep that in mind, they're just stuck in a boat like you're trying to go all right? The word Mayday was proposed because A, the London Bay statistically has the most boat and plane accidents. B, Mayday is a short form of French word meaning come and help. C, Mayday comes from an old English word meaning distress. Or D, Mayday is a word easy to remember. B, it actually is B, comes from a, I can't, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the French word, but it comes from a short form of a French word meaning come and help. All right? This triple pursuit knowledge are in jeopardy. You may win money because of these things. All right, here we go. Number five, there's two more. Another sanctioned method of communicating distress is to emit what color of smoke? Red, orange, yellow, green, or blue? Correct answer, anybody? Orange. It's orange. I'm sure if you get any color, somebody might find you, but it's supposed to have orange. So, all right, next one, number six. Which of the following flags is internationally recognized single of distress? A, B, C, or D? D, okay, that's correct. No, not really. I had to put that up there. I'm sorry. I need grads here. I'm sorry, I know some back there. Sorry. Sorry, I could have put papers up there, but I just had to. The correct answer is actually A, or something like that, a square or a flag with a circle, a circle under a flag. I think C is uh, for negative, and B is like the flag for the number three or something like that. I don't know. Next one, number seven. For hundreds of years, inverted national flags were commonly used to improve the flag upside down. However, that practice is problematic. Why? Because some flags, when you invert them, look the same. Or some flags, when you invert them, look like a different country. But that's no longer used as, you know, you get some of those European flags that are red, white, blue, flip it over, blue, white, red, it's a different country. So they realize you flip the flag, it doesn't really mean anything. For our flag, the US flag, it's American. And then, uh, number eight, you don't have a radio, fire, flashlight, mirror, smoke, or flag. What is the universally understood body motion indicating distress? You're in a boat. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I was reading out, reading online, it was like, extend your arms up and down over your head slowly, and then back down, I was like, well, that's easy, so wave your arms. <laughs> wave your arms. I mean, I'm sure if you did anything, if you're in a boat, 
when you're doing something, nobody's going to be like, that's not the right signal. So, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, this guy is great. Her arms yell, help. I mean, help always helps. Uh, last question, lady, in our sermon today. If you're facing a seemingly impossible human situation, it's probably you should it stress. Requires some kind of immediate physical intervention. You have nowhere else to turn. How do you then stress it? How do we approach this? Is the answer simply pray? That seems like totally the right answer to But what do you do when you hit those times in life, which probably come a lot more frequently than you care to admit? Whether it's big distress, capital D, or small distress, capital small D, depending on the time. So often we think it's kind of distressing. How do we how are we supposed to live in What are we supposed to do? What's appropriate, what's not appropriate? Is it right, wrong? How do we do that? So what we've been doing the last number of weeks, we've been doing a series from Moses, Old Testament book of Exodus, all Testament. And Moses was the one who led the Israelites, Jewish nation, from Egypt and slavery all the way to the promised land, modern day Israel. Go to that next slide, we kind of give a So they were in Egypt. Um, they were going to, they were the promised to give the land God promised them. Modern-day Israel, the promised land is, they have to cross the Sinai Desert. Uh, we've talked about this some, but the journey should have taken them a few weeks. It took them 40 years, part because of their own rebellion. We've been talking about how do you, and how, how are you not only do you hear and respond to God, but how do you follow God's leading to, to the promise of your life? The place where you are alive, awake, and free, and you're experiencing the joy and the peace in the business that God says we can experience. Not carefree, not doesn't remove problems from life. The Bible promises you can have joy, irrational joy, and otherworldly peace, even though the world isn't looking in your favor. So one of the things I want to focus on on this one is just look at the ways in which distress was communicated by Moses as well as Israelite people when they were hitting some of these obstacles. And this is some of these obstacles grew before they got out of Egypt. Again, you think, unless I'm unusual, probably not in a bad way, but I think you have those kind of things that cause you distress. Relationship distress, financial distress, just internal distress, anxiety in that. I'm guessing there are people here who woke up at night and went to sleep kind of anxious. Okay. Financial distress, anxiety. In an interpersonal stress of those relationships, not looking out for mom, dad, boyfriend, girl, husband, wife, son, daughter. Stress about what am I doing in the future? What should I do with this situation? Stress about conflict. Stress about I don't know what to do next. That's the stress. The stress is anything that keeps your soul from being kind of at rest, at peace, joyful, live awake, and free. Even though there's the two elements that happening outside of you. Promise the Bible is even though this is all going around you, mountains fall in the sea and everything happens, there's something about your soul that stays at rest solidly ground because the spirit of God. So all kinds of things cause distress. We've all had distressing instances, unexpected, sometimes unexpected, and sometimes ongoing distressing situations. So, like for example, let's go to this. There's a couple comments here. When the Israelites found themselves in slavery under Pharaoh. So we're talking probably close to a million people, husbands, wives, and their children, were enslaved by the Egyptians. 
somewhat at times brutally, but also just always in full presence. And when we read the book of Exodus in chapter 2, it tells us that when, in this, in this situation, they cried out to God. And I'm highlighting the word cried out. Um, because I want to focus on that term today, that phrase. That seems to be the distress signal, not just in the book of Exodus, but all throughout the Bible, to cry out to God. They call out to God, they cry out to God. Now, but, you know, when you read it, and I just mean, I'm just, I'm just like saying how I sit and read this thing. I read this, they cried out to the Lord. I don't know if they're like, ah! Yeah, I, but you get the sense there's something kind of emotional going on. They're not just like, um, God, you know what's going on. I mean, it's kind of that, ooh! It's that emotional, my bad times where I've been alone to myself in my car, and I'll say, come on, God. You know that. You know those emotional kind of, uh, why can't this change? So crying out is kind of in that part of you, kind of like, I don't know what else to do. And they cried out to the Lord because they were stuck. They had no hope how to get out of it. They didn't know what they were supposed to do. And they cried out to God. Then when they actually got set free from it, Egypt, you might know the story, they get right in front of the Red Sea and they got to figure out if they were supposed to go that way. Then also they realized Pharaoh and his army is the next to chapter 14. They're coming behind them and bring them back. They were like, we don't want them to go. And so they're standing there and they see this massive bottle of water in front of them, a million people. And then Pharaoh army chariots, horses, spears, bows and arrows, things to kill people with, come behind them and they're thinking, we are really between a rock and it says that Pharaoh approached the people of Israel, looked up in panic when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. And they cried out to the Lord. And you can understand if you were in their situation, you'd do the same thing. You wouldn't just call a calm, quiet, silent prayer meeting. There'd be some, oh, come on, what are we going to do? And sometimes you can mad at each other, but ultimately it's crying out to God, what'd you do? That situation is So they're crying out to God. Now let's go to Moses. There's at least three times, and other times, where Moses cries out to God. There's one situation in uh, Exodus chapter 8 that you know they had plagues. You know, God sent these plagues trying to convince the Egyptians to let them go, and one of the plagues was uh, like a frogs. Frogs everywhere, all over the place. In your bed, in your bathroom, in your oven, whatever. They were finally said, okay, Moses, enough. Get your God and get rid of these frogs, and we'll let you go. So Moses negotiates this deal with Pharaoh, and the next verse says, so Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh's palace, and Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs. And I'm like, okay, God, you better do something. Because I told Pharaoh you would. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm raising my voice. If I'm Moses, I'm not saying, um, God, would you please bless us and would you please remove the frogs? I mean, he's like, God, you've got to do something. you got to remove these frogs. You've got to show Pharaoh that you are who you say you are. Then later on in Exodus chapter 15, they're in the wilderness, they're in the desert. A million people, and they weren't carrying their analogy bought water bottles with them. They didn't have water. They don't have water. They come upon this big pool of water, and they take a drink of it, and people are like, oh, this water is bitter. It's not good. And then they start complaining. Most of what you even do, league is that, what are we doing here? And they're, you know, a million people up for it, because they're like, you don't have the water. We should go back to Egypt. And it says in Isaiah chapter 15, some Moses cried out to the Lord for help. 
And the Lord then showed him what to do. Go to the Philippians, and why would God throw that wood in? The water will become pure and easier. But Moses cries out, God, what did you do? For a million people need water. Then just a few chapters later, now they don't have, it's not the bitter water they have, they have no water. They've gone a couple more days, they have no water. And they start complaining to Moses. And they're about to stone him, the Bible. They're so angry at Moses. Moses, we were better off back there. You just think about it, we were better off in slavish, brutal oppression. At least we had food and water then. And sometimes you can think about how odd it is that we kind of want that predictability of kind of our old life. We kind of the stretching, transition, change that I want to bring. But we like predictability. I do. And so sometimes when I get that was that was the, I like the old way because I knew what was happening. He complaining, and Moses, chapter seventeen, says Moses cried out to the Lord. What should I do with these people? They're about to stone. But again, I'm assuming Moses is doing. Lord, what do I do with these people? They're about to stone me. His tent was probably shaking around. The probably get kind of kicked off. I, I'm sure he wasn't just silently expressing his. The life we trust God. And I'm saying that because I think sometimes we, I, all of us, in many ways, um, we think it's appropriate, like ways to pray and ask God for things, things like this. The word cry out, Old Testament typically was written in Hebrew. The word cry out comes from meaning of a word that means thunder. So you got the sense that the word probably has a sense of, uh, it's that kind of emotion and those thoughts you have for whatever, God, and hopefully, when you know you're in a situation where you, there is no way out in that situation. No way out. So that happens. So that's children of Israel's life. They cry out for it. Moses cries out for it. He's just a few of them to cry out for it. We'll go to the next slide. Because all throughout the Bible, people cry out for it. In the book of Judges, which is kind of the next, one of the next phases of history of God. The people, and I'm laughing because we're the same way. The people give themselves over their idolatry. They forget God. God left them to their own three forces, and they were taken by four hands. And in the book of Judges, it seems like it's like this repeated cycle. They do that. They cry out the Lord from all God sends them to the Lord. They cry out the Lord from all God sends them to the Lord. Because sometimes our crying out the Lord for help is because of the situation we've got there. Right? Because of our own choices. I've shared this before, and I, I don't mind sharing it again. I, when I was, before I was married, when I was in college, you know, I had significant addiction to pornography. And there were times where I cried out, Lord, God, I don't know how to get out of it. I want to, I don't know how to get out of it. So I think whether that's your issue or has been, or other issues, you know, when I talk about there's times where you've dug a hole for yourself. And you're like, when you get in, you're like, and there's parts of you that probably emotionally kind of But that happened in the book of Judges. In the book of Psalms, over and over, the righteous cry out to God. God hears. We read that one at the beginning of the service today. I had to repeat it like five times. When we when we cry to God, He hears. When we cry to God, He hears. The psalmist keeps repeating that. The Old Testament repeats over and over the stories about God. 
when he heard the cries of his people during the Exodus, that he heard them and delivered them. So this constant theme of crying out to God, crying out to God, he hears it, crying out to God, he hears it. And in the New Testament, in the New Testament, the word for crying out in the New Testament, which was in Greek, the crying out, the word for the New Testament word for cry out, is uh, it's transliterated, kratzo. Uh, so it's kind of the sound you would make if you were a pro, rah, you know, kratzo. So again, it's that kind of, it's a word that we use to describe them that sounds like the word we use. So that onomatopoeia, and it's that right grammatical word, part but that word shows up in the New Testament with a man who's paralyzed, calling out to Jesus, a man who was crushed by a demon, crying out to Jesus, a man who was uh, struck with leprosy, crying out to Jesus, a religious leader whose daughter had just died and he was, of course, stressed. Talk about maritime stress, but he was stressed. out to Jesus, what you do. Another woman who had a daughter that was being oppressed and controlled by a demonic spirit was doing odd and weird things. And then one of my favorites, and if you've been an expert all you've heard this many times, my favorite story is the Barbman Blind Man. And blind people then had lives. Blind people now have challenging lives. But then it's like challenging the man to do. The beggar face. He's begging on the side of the road. He knows Jesus is coming. He hears and he's holding on. And he knows he's making a home just like the Israelites and Moses and the people of God and the other judges in the Psalms knew they were kind to us, but only hope for the well being of their souls was forgotten. And in this part of Manchester's name, the Bible says he cried out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me! Because he's trying to get Jesus' attention. Jesus, I really don't even know this is what people call him Bartimaeus. Hey, be quiet. Even Jesus' own disciples, be quiet. You're kind, of, you're kind of interrupting the expression. Sometimes religion keeps us from Jesus, right? Religion kept them from Jesus. And it says, he yelled even all louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. He cried out, Grazo. Lord, son of David, have mercy. Jesus walked over and said, what do you want me to do for you? And then he left the And the scripture says over and over, God hears and God hears. Here, and he responds and gives it to us. So, whether it's children of Israel, whether it was Moses, whether it was God's people throughout the Bible, the New Testament, crying out to God comes from the desperate, unashamed, that we're, we no longer care whether it's appropriate or not, determined. But in the midst of crying out the fear of God, there's also hope. And you don't do that unless you believe there's some possibility, strong possibility, that God may do it. And that God may do something. Not, not in a Santa Claus, <laughs> magician kind of way, but when you're crying out to God, you're really crying out for the fullness of your soul. Which may or may not change the external circumstances, but ultimately what we really desire is the fullness and the rest and peace and joy of our soul. To endure whatever situation. Yes, God can remove your financial stress, your relationship stress. He can make that guy like you or that girl like you. He can make your marriage better and snap with a finger. But God's ways are different than ours. We don't always understand it. But He can always give you peace, joy, and rest in your soul. He can always do that. He can always do that. 
So then the question becomes, uh, how would you see your name in that plan? Bring that right out the door. When you see this Old Testament, the old Artemis, those and all these kind of Old Testament distant names. So what is our name? Is that God wants us to relate to you? Kevin, Kevin cried out the Lord. Dean cried out the Lord. Roberta cried out the Lord. It almost feels weird. I don't know that sounds like I'm an emotion basket case. And I'm not saying to go across the street in the park and wail out the gun. There's certain ways you can talk about in your car by yourself. There's the ways even in your spirit you can kind of have this. Not that when you're holding God in contempt, but you're But when you say you've got to do something, you're also telling God, and you can do it however you want to. If you're crying out to God and saying, here's my situation, here's my solution, God, would you please do what I think you should do? But if you're crying out to God for deliverance of your soul, he will do it. He will do it his way. So part of the spirit of crying out to God is an acknowledgement that I can't do it, I don't even have an idea about it. So however you want to do it, and I know that will rock me, it will cause me discomfort, because you may put me in a discomfort, uncomfortable, stretching, unfamiliar situation. But if that's what it's going to take to get my soul to be alive, awake, and free, and abreast of peace and full of joy, then I'm in. That's the spirit of my God. I think, I think I know, sometimes I uh, we, I, go away to life with God. I'm not saying we scream and shout at God, but that's like the Bible people scream and shout at God. And God is not certain about individual. It's something what you can do. What the thing that offends God the most is when you turn your back and walk away because you're God. Moses, when he's crying after God, the people of God crying after God, the people of God about the Old Testament, the blind man, the People in the New Testament, they're keeping their face for God, for Jesus. But they're expressing kind of things in the heart that they let God know. Not that God doesn't know about, there's something about our freedom and our healing that God wants to know. Because then we're wide open to His solutions. And His solutions will always be peace, joy, mercy, generosity, all. So I'll finish with this last verse. Hebrews chapter 4. It's a Hebrew is the New Testament. Written to uh, the Jewish believers. I don't understand the role of Jesus played in their mind and in our mind. And what the writer says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For we face all the same testimony. We could high priest Jesus to come like Jesus. He did not sin. So, whatever your stress signal is committed on, whether it's relational, financial, future, career, sexual distress, whatever issue is causing you distress in your soul, there's nothing that Jesus does not understand. So for you to cry out, he's not going to be like, whoa, turn down the emotion there, buddy. No, he's going to be like, I can't do that for But then it says this, so let us come bold to the throne of our gracious God. Bold. I mean, it's like we've seen the Wizard of Autumn with the clock up and they're walking in there for 10 minutes. Oh, and then you run in, you go in, and you finish 
your hands on the shoulders of God. Not that you heard it, but you're like, no. They will receive his mercy and will find grace for us in the So I challenge my encouragement today to you and to me. And I say that I think more often than not, I have a big mirror up here and the whole thing I'm talking to me. But I think often what God's saying to me is comfortable. But I'm just like where you are. I need to be reminded that no matter how much I try to manipulate or figure out, fix my financial or relational tensions, or no matter how I try to do that, if it's not undergirded by God giving me good, I can go through the plan out of I'm just going to think all the time. And it's not because you're not, it's not because you're incompetent and left over dumb people, unintelligent or emotionally needy, or Karl Marx would say, religion, religion is the opiate of the people, they're just all numb. No, it's not that. It's because we're honest. We're honest with the reality of, I know there's a way that my life can be fully alive, and I know I can't get I've, I've tried it, it's not working. I've tried it, it's not working. I know it's only when I become bullied to the front of our grave. Then we will receive promise, promise, mercy, and grace to help us. So I don't know what your distress is, whether it's small D and 10 point font or a capital D and 96 point font, that's what the macro does to them, we drop it. But you know what I'm talking about, we all have distress, I know it feels bigger. I go to like 300 and I feel like you know what I'm saying? I know it feels bigger, but some of you have real distress now, some of you may have more cheap. You don't know what to do with it, you're trying to figure out how to protect the people's score, people's score, even if, if you've done it for yourself, you're going to have to hold it and promise that he will help you if you know he's going to do it. Let's pray again. Leader, you're the best. 
you give us a kind of insight and wisdom what the scripture says is grace and mercy. So I pray for these people standing, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God. Through your sons and daughters. Through your sons and daughters. And your promise is that when they cry out to you and then they just stand in a sense they've done something to push them a little bit uncomfortable. And they're acknowledging to you, and I pray this would even expand whatever way you need to pursue the lives of the whether they want to love you or both of you or seek help of other godly Christian people to kind of pray with them. But God, there's even your sons and daughters in my prayer that you would pour out your spirit on them because you're a loving good father. And in their distress, at least begin with the point, God, that you hear them. You see the smoke. You hear the dots and dashes coming from their hearts. You hear the mayday screaming out of their spirits. You do hear them. And you respond. And you raise up ways for deliverance. Again, not magic, not removing difficulties from our lives, but you raise up deliverance so that their soul can be fully alive rest and peace that joy. So Jesus, would you by your Holy Spirit, even this moment, would you to pour yourself into those who are standing into their souls and their spirits throughout the week, would they sense the supernatural reality of the lives? Would they see things in their spirits change and quick and grow that they have no human explanation for, except that you have what?
Jesus, we're grateful. This is the book of Hebrews that we read here. You understand every single person in this room. You know the temptations we've experienced this week, the stress that we feel, the frustrations we can have, the failures we've fallen in our own pits about. You know all that. We lost. And difficult as you offer us this, this part of you, this Holy Spirit part of you, that is represented symbolically and mystically in this bread and this juice. And Jesus, we're grateful that you then follow through on your obedience to the Father. You allowed yourself to torture, crucified, and then you were revived to raised again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says that same power that raises the dead is available for ordinary people like us. That's incredible. Incredible. So as we take this into our bodies today, we uh, take with gratitude great, great, and deep joy. Because you can change us. And the people that have the power and the love of life to come to God. Thank you. Yeah, that's all.